Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 23rd parak of Malachim Bet, as King Yoshiahu, spurred by his discovery of a Sefer Torah, special Sefer Torah of some kind, and by the, the very frightening words of Hulda Hanaviah, undertakes a massive tshuva movement. Yoshiahu begins by gathering the nation to Yerushalayim to reestablish and recommit to the covenant between Hashem and the Jewish people. And then we are presented with this very long list from Pasuk Dalid to Chaf 4 to 20 of all the ways that Yoshiahu rids the nation of idolatry and idolatry-adjacent practices and infrastructure. And it's striking how much ink is spilt on describing all the different, uh, all the different things that Yoshiahu accomplishes and, and has to destroy in this process. I think it would have been unremarkable had this been summarized in a Pasuk or two. Uh, and the fact that we get this lengthy, detailed enumeration, uh, I, I think it's meant to uh, have a certain impact, a certain effect. I think the Sefer is up to a few things, aside from just giving us these particulars. There's a literary effect of, all, of, the, of the heft of all of these psukim telling us all the things that Yoshiao does. The first is to just highlight how amazing Yoshiao was, that he was able to, to accomplish, how ambitious and thoroughgoing his project was. And also, we see the, the, the way in which, you know, it tells us he destroyed this thing which goes all the way back to Shlomo HaMelech, and he destroyed this thing which goes all the way back to Yeravim. And it's a sense, you get the sense that he's really pulling out the weeds at the root and really uh, transforming the nation. So that's, that's one piece of it. But there's also a darker side, and that is, it demonstrates the degree to which idolatry was entrenched and normalized at really every layer of society in the temple, in the streets, everywhere, there was idolatry. Um, and so it's, it also reflects kind of how far the nation had fallen. And reading that back onto our discussion in the last parak about, well, what's the nature of this Sefer Torah that Yoshiahu discovered? So the more dramatic reading was, it was simply Chamishei Chumshei Torah. It was just the Torah that he discovered. And the people had become so estranged from the Torah that it was a revelation simply to find the Torah and to find all of the all of the, the, the commitments that the Jewish people have made, right, that are a part of, baked into the Torah, that was the revelation that, oh my goodness, we're, we're not supposed to be doing all these things that we're doing, right? That was the more dramatic reading of, well, what was the nature of this Torah? And, and I think reading this parak back onto that parak, it's very compelling to say, yeah, maybe this simply was a Sefer Torah. Maybe the nation had really just fallen, had sunk to such a level. Um, so, fine. So, the Pesach tells us, Following, uh, following this lengthy description of all the things that Yoshio destroyed, that he then commands the nation to observe Pesach. Pesach, in particular, is a very appropriate, very suitable kind of capstone to this project because Pesach is a, is a Yom Tov, it's the holiday of Jewish particularism, of affirming our unique identity, our unique responsibilities, our unique uh, relationship with God. And the Pasuk says, For there was not such a Pesach since the time of the judges, which we, we can't take to mean that the Jewish people hadn't observed Pesach. We know, for example, that they observed Pesach in the times of Chizkiyahu. Rashi says, what, is it, what does it mean that there was no, no, they hadn't had such a Pesach from the time of the Shoftim? So Rashi says it has to do with the scope, how many people gathered and, and participated in this, uh, in this particular Pesach. Maybe I'd like to suggest, you could say on a little bit of a, a deeper level, that Pesach is about, as I said, the essence of Pesach is about an affirmation and an expression of our unique identity as God's chosen and covenantal people of, of our, our, uh, our particularism. 
And it could be that maybe the, the Sefer is gesturing at this idea that never had a Pesach been observed since the times of the Shoftim, which, was, uh, which, which touched on and captured the essence of the day in so profound a way. Um, so I think that, that again, bespeaks the nature, the, the extent of Yoshio's accomplishment. And then after all of that kind of wonderful moment with the musical montage where, you know, everything's going well, we get the, a gut punch. And we're told that despite everything, God had not forgiven the sins of, uh, of the Jewish people from the times of, uh, of King Menashe. And all of this was a, a day late and a dollar short. And, and that foreshadows the tragedy that follows. We learned that the Paro Nechau from Egypt uh, was, uh, was, was going to, uh, to fight uh, the Babylonian Empire, was going to team up, essentially, to, to give aid, uh, to ally itself with Ashur, fighting the ascendant Babylonian Empire. To do so, they needed to pass through Israel, and Yoshiahu opposed, uh, opposed the Egyptian army and met the Egyptian army to fight them and to prevent them from passing through. And Yoshio is summarily killed off in the text with little explanation for, for motivations or, or really any details about how this moment unfolds. There's like a great, um, the text is extremely terse and, uh, and it just happens very quickly. And one really gets the sense that the, the rug is being pulled out from under them. And we're of course left with a variety of questions. The first is um, just wanting to understand, you know, the why, the motivation here. Uh, why would Yoshio have engaged in this battle? And the second is a much more profound question, which is how could this have happened to such a righteous king uh, after having had the kind of success that we've just read about for X uh, Psukim? So, you know, we'll deal with Rishon Rishon. You know, why did Yoshio make, make trouble with Paro? Why did he start up a, a fight that was not his own? And we could speculate that there may have been political reasons. Maybe he didn't want Paro to, to hand Ashur a lifeline in its battle against uh, the Babylonians. The Gemara Tainus presents us with a spiritual reason that the, the Torah promises in Vayikrach, Afav, that, that no sword shall pass through your land. And the Gemara specifies that this is even referring to a sword that is not intended for you, a peaceful sword. Right? The, the, Israel is going to be um, completely free of, uh, of, of war making for, for anyone. And, uh, and maybe Yoshiahu thought, the Gemara suggests that Yoshiahu thought that he had done enough to merit this level of protection, not only to avoid um, uh, a sword passing through with, uh, with uh, negative intent, but even just uh, even a sword passing through with intention for someone else, Yoshio thought he had achieved that level of, uh, of success that would, would, would then merit that level of, of protection. But as the Gemara explains, he overestimated uh, his achievements and the merits of the people at that time, and he paid the ultimate price for his kind of overly positive assessment of the nation. And, and that's a partial answer to, to question two, right? How could this have happened to such a righteous king? Perhaps despite all of his accomplishments, his kind of ambition and his confidence outpaced his, his genuine success. It reminds me of something I, I believe I, I heard from Rabbi Lord Sachs, Zichron Levracha. He said something to the effect, I'm sure he said it with much more eloquence, but he said something to the effect of a leader must be in front of his people, but not so far ahead of them that people lose sight of you. Um, and, and though Yoshio's piety is beyond reproach or doubt, maybe he was too far ahead uh, of the people, uh, and they grew disconnected. And, and, and it turned out that Yoshio was living in a slightly different reality than the rest of the nation. And, and, and even in, uh, in, in destroying all this idolatry, he was destroying it. Uh, it was something that was intrinsically valuable, but it wasn't transformative to the nation in the way that, uh, that he might have hoped. And I think it's, uh, it's quite telling that the Psukim as I said, it was kind of, you know, summarily just, you know, Yoshio was killed. Um, I think it's telling that 
we, we don't hear that the people continued fighting. We, don't, we just hear that, we don't even hear that the people accompanied Yoshio. It just seems like Yoshio goes totally by himself, is killed, and then is immediately taken back to Yushalayim. There's no indication that anyone else was in this battle together, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Yoshiahu. And, uh, and perhaps in a deeper sense, that was kind of the cause of his, of his downfall. Again, the Sefer at this moment takes the opportunity to extol Yoshiahu's greatness, which is unimpeachable. Um, and then, uh, after his passing, we're told that he is succeeded by, uh, by his sons. Um, the first one is deposed by the Egyptians, uh, and then another one of his sons is, is installed by Egypt. The southern kingdom becomes this kind of vassal state to Egypt, and uh, the steady decline towards destruction, uh, the destruction of the, of the Beis HaMikdash is now unfortunately kind of back on track and, and steaming full ahead, steaming full speed ahead, uh, which we will uh, continue to explore and discuss in the, uh, in the next few podcasts, um, at which point we will complete um, Melachim Bet. Very exciting. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.